I'm not sure where you spent last week. We didn't have the, we had the opportunity where we did not meet. So my family, we went to the beach. We went to this place called Ferguson, North Carolina. And we were in Ferguson, North Carolina. And one day we decided we would like to go to the mountains. We would like, excuse me, we're in the mountains, but we would like to go to Hawk's Nest to go tubing. Okay. And so there were two options that we had to go tubing on that day. First of all, first off, you could go down the mountain and around and go to, um, go to Boone the long way, or you could take the shortcut. Not kidding, I took the shortcut. And it was winding roads and a couple of opportunities where the road wasn't even paved. You could say that there wasn't a lot of traffic on that road at all. I learned something about that, that trip. I learned that the road was, was, was really, really lonely. I learned that the road was really bumpy. It hadn't been used very much. And I also learned another thing, that the closest place to my destination or the way to get to my destination and the closest way to get there, or the quickest way to get there, should I say, was through a road that was not very traveled. And what I'm sitting here telling you this morning, that the, the road to the glory of God is through a road of prayer for his glory, for his sake, and for our good. And I believe, and I think you would agree with me, that is a road that is too far less traveled in our lives. I think it's a discipline that we are missing. And I think some of the things that we're not seeing is that we're not seeing them because of a lack of discipline and calling on the God of this universe to do something that he desires to do. Yes, he is sovereign and yes, he is in control. But if we were to sit here and summarize our prayer life, we probably could summarize it, not trying to guilt us this morning. We probably could summarize it and say, really, it truly is a road less traveled and it needs to change. Um, I honestly feel like that my goal is in, in this message series, our goal, our elders and our staff, is not to guilt us into praying more because we don't pray enough. It's really not to go, oh, New Year's resolution, I'm hearing it, I gotta, I gotta pray more, I gotta, I gotta pray. Yes, we, we should pray more, but see, I, I can motivate you at the most for about seven days. <laughs> I can motivate you for about that long, maybe. Okay, if you're a type A personality, you might come in and get charts together and come up with just different strategies to pray. But what I'm asking is I'm asking us to pray to the living God of the universe and say, God, through your Holy Spirit, will you teach us what it means to call in your name on a consistent basis, that it would not be sporadic, it would not be inconsistent, and that it would be a road that is worn out for his glory. And that's what I'm asking us to do here in 2019, especially over the next five weeks, as we really, really understand what is prayer? How do we pray? How, how can we consistently, faithfully call in his name? You, you see, I don't think the problem is that we don't talk about prayer. I do think we talk about it. I think we talk about it with great eloquence at times, and we talk about it with great fervency. I think the issue is, is that it's, it's the consistency that we do. And James chapter 2 says something very clearly about having faith without works is dead and it puts together our practices. And so what he's asking us to do, and I think what he's, what he's challenging us to do is to say, yeah, let's talk about that, but let's do that. I'm looking forward to February the 3rd when we gather together to close this message series out and what it's going to look like in this place as we pray together in groups and as we take the Lord's Supper and as we sing to King Jesus. 
I cannot wait for that service, February the 3rd. It's a great way to kick off the Super Bowl, okay? It's gonna, we're going we're gonna to conclude our message series together by sitting there and faithfully calling on God as a church to say, God, we desire to see you in a radical way in 2019, in our personal lives, in our church life, like never before. Don't you believe that we want to see that? Don't you believe that we need to see that? And I hope you understand that there's a God in heaven that wants to show us that. I believe he wants to show us that. And so that's, that's where we, where we want to see. We, we desire to passionately guide generations through gospel transformation one home at a time. And it is absolutely important that we not just see prayer as transition before, between songs and a long, nice prayer before we eat. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, I'm up here and I have a different role than you do this morning because I've been studying this issue about maybe sporadic and inconsistent prayer. And now I have to get up and challenge us as a body to be able to do this. And I'll tell you one thing right now. I am seriously convicted over my prayer life. And I need to tell you that right now. I, yes, do I pray? Yes. It's one of the disciplines I fight for and learn about and fight. But the Bible teaches us in 1 Thess- Thessalonians, it says, you know, we are to pray without ceasing. And I'm asking God to teach me personally and I'm asking God to teach us corporately what does that mean to be in a constant posture of prayer where we're calling on his name. And I think that, that we, have to, we, we, we must realize that when we, when we really boil it all down, just a statement, prayer is an honor. It's an honor. We get to communicate with the God of the universe. And he says to us all throughout scripture, I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep knocking. I want you to know that I hear you. I want you to know that I know what's going on in your life. I want to have communion with you. I want to be the center of your life. I want to be the center of your church. I don't want to be something that's an afterthought. I don't want your kingdom to come. I want my kingdom to come, is what he's saying. And we see that and we experience that when we understand this beautiful invitation to say, I want you to come and I want you to pray. We got to understand something that we are not unwanted house guests in the presence of King Jesus. He says, yeah, I want you to come to me. Let me put it to you this way. We're not Uncle Eddie. Don't use that again. <laughs> Uncle Eddie lampoons Christmas. Anyway, forget that. An unwanted house guest. We're not an unwanted house guest. King Jesus gives us an invitation to come. And he gives us an invitation to, to pray. And so here's what happens sometimes. When, when, we, when we pray, here's what we're saying. When we pray, we are saying, God, I desperately need you. I can't do anything without you. When we are, when we are faithful and consistent and we are calling on the name of God, we are boldly shouting, preaching, proclaiming, screaming, God, you're enough. God, I can't do anything without you. I'm not gonna approach this situation. I'm not gonna approach that situation without you, without consulting you, without praying to you because I want your will to be done in this, not mine. But here's the difference. When we stop praying, what we're saying is, God, I don't need you. You aren't enough. I'll call on you when I'm desperate or when things are really bad. But in, in, in the whole scheme of things, I really don't need you for the most part. When we're inconsistent, I think we talk about it, I think we do it, I think we can understand that prayer should be seen as breathing and not a prescription medication. Because once we get the prescription filled, 
Once the infection is gone, then what happens is the frequency and the fervency of prayer stops. Instead of seeing it as a prescription medication, let us see it as simply breathing. That we can't go a day without it. We can't go a month without it. Can't go any time without it. And I believe that that is a posture of prayer that Matthew chapter 6 is going to help us really see this morning. God calls us to be a people that are desperately depending on him so that he would transform lives. And like I said, most of us can probably testify, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but most of us can say that it is, we are limited to times of desperation, that, that we're stuck in repetition. Our prayer life is that we keep praying for the same things. How do I get out of this repetition? It, like I said, is a road that is less traveled. And so here's the goal. The goal for this next five weeks is that let us be a church where the road of prayer and at the road of prayer as a church and in our homes is worn out for the glory of God. I'll say it again, the goal. Let us be a church where the road of prayer as a church and in our homes is worn out for the glory of God. And so life groups are following along with the message series. Four messages and then again we come back to that great time we're going to have on February the 3rd. But we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 6. We know, this, we know this as the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to really pick this thing apart. We've got five points at the end. In order to get there, I want to give you some context. Matthew is the first gospel. The eyewitness account of Jesus, his life and ministry. Jesus is teaching us how we should live to be faithful followers of himself. And so in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have a sermon. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now that is three chapters over 20 different topics he talks about divorce he talks about adultery he talks about the needy he talks about retaliation he has a lot of topics that he's bringing up to his people so they understand how do you know what to do how do you know when to do it and how do you live as a follower of me and then he brings up prayer and there's a lot so let me just tell you something that is a sermon on the mount it's classified as a sermon it's three chapters long so please don't ever tell me I preach too long And you would be able to say, yes, Matt, but that's Jesus preaching that. And I would say, you win. <laughs> you win. So, so here's, here's, let's come back and let's, let's, let's go back into Matthew chapter 9, verse all the way to 13, and just take a look at what we learn and then put this all together. And so here's what it says. And it starts off, and he says, okay, verse 9 says this, pray then like this. He said, okay, you want to encounter me. You want to talk to me then I want you to do it like this. Okay, it's not necessarily that we memorize this or it's, a, it's just out of memorization necessarily, but he's saying, I want you to take these principles, this outline here, and use it for yourself because I believe you'll get the most out of it when you go through it. And let's go. First thing it says is our Father in heaven. And yes, we're gonna stop right there because the first thing that I want you to see is the first word is our, okay? I need you to understand, and I need us to understand more than anything in the world, the pronouns that are used in this prayer are plural, they're not singular. And so this prayer is a prayer over and from the church in our context. It is a group of people who say, I've been saved by King Jesus, I have a relationship with him, and he's saying, here's what I want you to do, I want you to gather together I want you to gather together in one accord and I want you to pray like this and I want you to call on him in unity. Our Father, together. 
Because there's power when we do that together. One of the biggest dangers in all of our life is the issue of, of the singular pronouns. Think about this. If you have any amount of kids in your house, ask them after you get ready to leave here, hey, where do you want to go to lunch today? Whoa, I want to go here, 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 right? And so the pronouns really demonstrate to us that we're concerned about us and our world. And Jesus is setting the standard right now and saying, the first thing I want you to do right now is I want you to come together in unity and say, our, it's us, we, God, we, as a collective unit, as a unified body, are going to call in your name. And then he says, what are you going to say? Our Father. He said, I want you to call him Father who is in heaven. That is so beautiful that the issue that we see here is that God is personal, wants us to call him Father. Our Father is, a Father is kind, it's loving, he's compassionate. That's who he is. The other, another text says, call him Abba, Father. There is a relationship there. There is love there. There is compassion there. There is empathy there. And that's what he desires for us to call him. There's no greater picture of this than I saw this week at Duke ER in the hospital this week. I got to go to the hospital to see my buddy Jimmy, whose son was in a car accident. And his son was laying on a bed in the ER, and he had some cuts all over his face, and he was in pain. And he was restless, and they came in to clean him up, and his, he, he, he woke up, and his arms started flailing like this, and then all of a sudden, I watched Jimmy Hartsfield, a father, go over to his son, grab him by the hand, grab him in this way, and say, I'm here, son, I'm here, and I hear you, I hear you, and I love you. I'm here. And so God is telling us right now the way that you approach me, the way that you call on me, because I want you to call on me as Father because I love you. I love you and I have the best for you. I'm here for you. But not only that, he says, our Father in heaven. So when he says, I'm calling on you as Father, it's saying that you are loving, you are caring, you are great. And then when you say you're in heaven, it's the demonstration, it's a call out that yes, he's a Father, but he's a sovereign and supreme king. Because that's where he resides. And there is nobody that is there that sits in that place and hears us like our Father who is in heaven. It is a demonstration that his, that his love for us is worthy to be worshipped by us. It is beautiful because of where he resides, where he is. Our Father, you are in heaven. I have a quote for you. His fatherhood corresponds to his readiness to meet our earthly needs. His heavenliness corresponds to his supreme right to be given worship and allegiance and obedience. So he is our loving father and he's our supreme king and he's trying to get us aligned before we even make any requests at all. Then he comes down here, second part, he says, hallowed, hallowed be your name. That's not a word that we use often. You know, hallowed, it's, the, the word means it's reverencing, honoring, esteeming, admiring, valuing, treasuring of God's name above all things. The point, I believe, that this is the singular point of the prayer. It's the hallowedness and the holiness of God's name. Give me this day our daily bread because I want to glorify you. Lead me down into temptation. I'm going to glorify you. Forgive me of my debt so I forgive others of their debts so that I can glorify you. Your kingdom come so I can glorify you. 
Your will be done so I can glorify you. I believe that all of the petitions that are in this text right now come down to this singular goal of hallowing his holy name because there's no one like him. And that's what he's declaring right now. I am like no one else. And Jesus is saying, I want you to pray like this because there is no one like him. That's what I want you to do. Another way to say this is, I pray that your name would be honored. It is basically when we say, hallowed be your name, it is basically saying, God, I am more concerned with the advancement of your reputation in this world than my own in any way, shape, and form. I'm more concerned with the advancement of your reputation than I am mine. And so then he comes down to verse 10, and then there's a bold declaration. And notice this, it's the pronoun is plural again. It's like, your kingdom come. I don't know if something that's more important. After we come off of saying, our God in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're saying, your kingdom come. Because you and I are really good at trying to make our own kingdoms and create our own worlds and then asking God to come in and bless that. And so what their declaration is right here is a posture of vertical alignment and saying, we want your kingdom to come. We want the success of the gospel in the world because the gospel has changed me. I want it to change the entire world. And we're saying, God, we want your kingdom to come. And it is a bold declaration that your kingdom is the only kingdom and sets us up so that we do not create our own. Then he comes down and says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The part of this prayer is, is because of a longing to see God rule on the earth like he rules in heaven. So there is a knowledge right now of, of, of Jesus and he's saying, hey, there is an earthly reign of God in heaven. And what we pray for is that reign will come down here one day, which let me, know you, let, let, let me let you know something, that will happen. That's going to happen. And there is a declaration of saying, God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want it to be done right here. He will one day do that. And so then we transition into a, a different part of the prayer. You see, the first part of the prayer gave three petitions basically about, um, in the first part. It was, God, here's what we want. You are our Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Those are the petitions that he's asking us to do that. And here's what takes place. What happens when we pray like this, we are vertically aligned to put our possessions in the rightful place when we request them from God. Basically, what I want to say is that we will treat God and we will pray to God as the sovereign king and father that he is, not a genie in a bottle. And that is so dangerous when we treat God like that. And so our posture is set up to request and to pray and to pray these things while we are vertically aligned to him and know his will and the way of his plan. And so then he comes down and says, okay, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Listen, listen, it is okay for us to ask for things from God, but again, he says it, we're asking for it after we are in a posture of worship. Give us this day our daily bread. The daily bread, it's not weekly bread, it's not monthly bread, it's not a trust fund, it's not a little nest egg over here, it's not a new car. What he's basically saying is, God, you are sufficient for today, you will be sufficient for tomorrow, just please give me enough for right now. Neither riches nor wealth, but give me today 
daily bread so they may honor you and glorify you. One pastor wrote a prayer over these next three petitions. I want to read you what he said about this one. When he's give us this day our daily bread, here's the prayer that he wrote for himself. Father, I am not asking for the bounty of riches. I'm asking for bread, just enough to give me life. I want to live. I want to be healthy and, and to have a body and a mind that would work. Would you give me what I need for my body and my mind? Would you give that to me today? And that's his prayer. In verse 12, it comes down. In verse 12, it says this. Here's the other petition. So we heard the first petition. Here's the second petition. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The heart of true biblical Christianity is the essence of forgiveness, is right at the center of it. And what he's saying right now is, I know that my peace with you does not come through my performance, it comes from your pardon. I'll say that again. My peace with you, God, does not come from my performance for you, it comes from your pardon of me. And it is a, such a rich, beautiful declaration right there. We're not asking for more time to pay off our debt because we can't. We're not coming to him and saying, hey, we're coming to him and we're boldly saying, you are the only one that can forgive me of my sins and that's why I'm coming to you and that's why I'm praying to you like this. And I'll tell you this, we pray that way when the first issue is done, when the first posture is correct, when we pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we're able to sit there and ask for, for bread. Then we're able to come to him and say, God, I ask you that you are able to forgive me of my sins and I ask you to do that. Same pastor prayed this prayer on this and I want to read it to you. It's so beautiful. He coined this prayer that he would pray with this verse in mind. Father, I am a sinner and I need, and need to be forgiven every day. I can't live and flourish with guilt. I will die if I bear my own guilt every day. I have no desire to hold any grudge. I know I don't deserve forgiveness, and so I have no right to withhold it from anyone. I let go of all the offenses against me. Please have mercy upon me and forgive me and let me live in the freedom of your love. And, of course, we now know what Jesus knew when he said this. He knew he would also say of his death, this is my blood of the, forgiveness, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we pray for forgiveness, we can expect that God our Father, he can, we expect him to forgive us. Why? All you have to do is look at his son. All you have to do is look at an empty grave. All you have to do is look at his son. So that's why when we are vertically aligned, we can come to him and say, oh my gosh, there's no one like you. I'm gonna pray and ask you to forgive me and help me to forgive others. Verse 13 says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from e evil. This is the last request of the petition. And it's saying, God, you forgave me of those future, those, those sins that I were involved in. And what I'm asking you right now is I'm asking you to help me to live in such a way that I don't go on sinning or I keep sinning. I'm asking you to free me from those areas and in, in, in moments of temptation. One of the worst and most often misquoted Bible verses in all of humanity, in my opinion, is the Bible verse that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. How in the world do you look at someone who lost their son and say, God will never give you more than you can handle? 
Personally, I'm not trying to put myself on a platform right now, but there's been a lot of cancer in our family over the last three, two years. You can't say, that, that verse is not talking about the way God in, in, in a filter through his hands allows these things to happen. They happen, and they're so overwhelming. He's saying, they're so overwhelming, so call on me because I'm here to help you. Call on me because I know you. But when it's in regards to temptation, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. The temptation will not outrun his way out or his grace to get you through that situation. That's what that verse is talking about. God will give you never, no, nothing more than you can handle, no more than you can handle. That verse is in regards to, to temptation. And here's what Jesus is, is encouraging us to pray. God, protect me. God, I need you to protect me from getting into moments that, I would, that would cause me to trip up or fall or walk away from you. Help me not to be in those situations. So forgive me of my deaths, what we just prayed for. Forgive me of my current sin. I know that only forgiveness comes through you. Then he comes down and he says, God, forgive me of these. Help me not to sin in the future. Help me not to do that. The same pastor coined another prayer for this one, and I thought it was beautiful as well. I'm going to read it. It says, and Father, I don't want to go on sinning. I'm thankful for forgiveness. But Father, I don't want to sin. Please don't lead me into the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Deliver me from evil. Guard me from Satan and from all his works and all his ways. Grant me to walk in holiness. Hallowed be your name. Comes back to, I believe, the purpose of the prayer. The glory and the hallowedness of his name. That's why we exist and why we pray like this. Many of you have been to situations or churches where they conclude the prayer. And a lot of times people will say, oh, well, where's the last part? Well, this is where the prayer ends in the original language. Several um, years after, there's a thing called the, the Dita K, which added this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. It was a way of saying, God, let this be said. It was another way of saying amen. It was another way of declaring God's goodness. And that's was added several years later. So what do we learn? I have four things I want to share with you right now as we just sort of put this together. We've walked through the text together, we picked it apart, and now let's find out what we can learn from it. And here's, here's what I want you to see. Number one, praying this way reminds us that God's presence is better than his provision. Praying this way reminds us that God's presence is better than his provision. The order of prayer is sovereignly arranged. It begins with him and all that he is and all that he has. It does not encourage us to jump in and start requesting things as if he is a genie in a bottle just waiting for us because we're in charge. He is sitting there and he, Jesus is instructing us, listen, I want you to pray so that you will understand that my presence in your life is the greatest gift that you can have. That my presence in your life is better than any possession that you currently have, will have, or will ever have. My presence is best. You, you just look in the Psalms and it said, blessed is the man, or blessed, or blessed, or blessed. And sometimes we sort of hijack that word. We will go and say, oh, I got a new car, blessed. Got a new house, I'm blessed. Here is the situation, our are, are the things that we have certainly are things that God allows us to have. 
but not at the expense of really having and savoring him and all of him. Because he's so good. And he's so faithful. And he's so kind. And he's so gracious. And so this prayer teaches us to value his presence and understand that his presence is better than any of his provision. Does what God want to give? Yes. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what it says in Job. So here's what it says. Number two, praying this way should make us bold. Praying this way should make us bold. And I am overwhelmed at this when I was reading this and, and going, in, going through this this week. Um, we're, we're invited to pray to the God of creation. He's not our judge, but he's our father who is in heaven. And I have to ask you the question, do you realize the power that is at his disposal? Because our prayer life will answer that question for us. Do you realize the power that is at his disposal? Because when we recognize that we're talking to the God of creation, that he's our father, and that he is our savior, that he is the sovereign king over all things, I believe what happens is we're able to be lined up and to have a bold declaration to call on him to do things that he desires to do. It allows our will to be in line with him. In Acts chapter 4, the early believers were out there proclaiming Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus, and they're proclaiming Jesus, and they're preaching Jesus, and they get arrested. You know, James and uh, Peter and John get arrested and thrown in jail. And they said, you should stop preaching Jesus. You should stop doing that. The charges were kind of, were, were, were not, they were bogus. And so um, they were let go. They went back in Acts chapter 4 to the early disciples, about 120 of them, got together. They explained what happened. And it said, what do you want to do? And they said, and they prayed with boldness and the place was shaken, it said. And so why did they get there and they prayed with boldness? Because here's what I believe. I believe that they were praying to the God of creation and they understood who he was, which allowed them to have a posture to sit there and ask God to do big things. And when we understand who we are talking to, what is at his disposal, I believe we come to him and we get to sit there and say, I'm going to pray this way because God you are so incredibly good. And I'm gonna pray bold things. Coming into his presence this week. Going and sitting and talking to a surgeon and an oncologist with my wife was overwhelming. And it was overwhelming maybe for a reason that maybe you're not aware of, but when they wanted to let us know that the cancer was limited to just um, a spot. Um, the doctor showed her spine, and he goes, look at her spine, and it's just this, and it's beautifully made. And, and, and then he goes, oh, this is her aorta. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. And he goes, it's clean, and it's this, and I'm going... These are her lungs, and they're clean. And this is her kidney, and, 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 and I'm looking at that, and I'm going, do you realize, Matt Rice, who you have the honor of praying to? 
do you know what I can do, what I will do for, for my glory and your good? And I'm just looking at this. And I brought the Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And how all that goes together, and I'm just going, that is unbelievable. To see that the one who fastens all this together and fashioned it and spoke and it came into existence is the one who Jesus is instructing me and instructing you to call on him as father because he loves us, he hears us. And he says, not only that, I'm your father, but I'm in heaven, which is a bold declaration that I am supreme. So, let us, Northwest Community Church, quit praying simple prayers, but let us be bold in the things that we ask when we are postured before a Father who hears us. Let us do that together. Second thing, third thing, praying this way keeps us humble before Him, before God. I believe that one of the greatest dangers to the church and us as individuals is the issue of pride it is, it is consuming, it is overwhelming, and it will, will, will dis- devastate us and never allow us to have an encounter with the God of creation like we can and like we should. It will never allow us to encounter him when we have this moment of our kingdom, my will be done, and we set up these things, and we set up these things, and we live in these things. And so this prayer, I believe, allows us to remain humble because we're beginning with this going, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven. And I believe it allows us to really, really say boldly with anything, with everything in us, we are not God. And I believe praying like this will do that. Let me just, sometimes we... We, we settle for a cheap imitation of the real thing. I went to China and I went to the market several years ago on a mission trip. We went to the market and you can buy and sell things. And I went over there and I was like, I'm going to get me a North Face jacket in China because it costs a lot less over there. And so I went over to the market and I went over there and I bartered and I got this North Face jacket and I was like, man, this thing is awesome. And it's got stitching North Face. And it's got Gore-Tex. And I was like, it was blue. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I got my wife one. It had a fleece on the inside. Man, I got my North Face jacket. I got it back to the hotel room. And I was like, one of the sleeves is a little shorter than the other. <laughs> I put my hands in my pocket and the pocket goes, rip. <laughs> I'm like, it says it's Gore-Tex though. Let's see if it's waterproof. I put it on my arm. And I'm like, oh, right through to the fleece. I was like, what just happened there? And I was like, well, I will tell you this. It was 20 American dollars, okay? And I think I come home. I wore the coat. I wore it proudly. I just put my arms up. I was like, <laughs> over there. I was like, I put my hands in my pocket. I just didn't use the right one because that one was ripped. I was like, a couple years ago, I went and got me a real North Face coat. And I was like, wow, this is the real thing. (laughs) Illustration simple. Here it is. One of the greatest enemies of the church and of our individual life is when we take his place and we try to be God. 
And when we pray like this, it keeps us humble before our Father, Abba, who desires to hear us, listen to us, move in our lives, and helps us to align our will with his. Because he's going to do great things. Let's be a part of it. And we need to be humble in order to do that by not setting up our own kingdom and by realizing there is no one like him. And that's what this prayer gets us in line to do. Fourth thing and last thing is this. Praying this way, we become a unified community. I'm so excited over this message series over the next five weeks. I don't even know what to do. I feel like that what is going to take place, I'm praying for what will take place. Listen, I'm not looking at numbers or this many people getting saved or this many things happening. I'm just looking for the glory of God to be revealed in Northwest Community Church, plain and simple. Now, I can define that for you as I want marriages restored. I want relationships stored. I'm asking for God to save people, for God to move in people's lives. I'm asking for all of those things, but I want absolutely for God's glory to reign supreme in our church, in our community, and for Northwest Cary and beyond to know him because he's good. And, and, and when we pray this way and we use those pronouns, our Father, let us, give us, forgive us, lead us not, then we're lining ourselves up to be a unified movement of the greatest mission the world has ever known. And he says, how are we going to do that? How are we going to accomplish that? How is that, how is that possible? It's possible when your posture of worship through prayer is focused on me and my will and my kingdom. And then all your requests and your petitions flow out of that. And it is beautiful. Are you ready? I want you to be ready. I want us to be ready. Praying this way, we become a unified, unified community. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer that can realign us and get us into this place. Many of you know I'm a diabetic and so type one. And so I've got this thing, this beautiful, I've got this little gadget on my arm. Yes, I am bionic. And um, it's, it's a CGM. It's a continuous glucose monitor. And here's what happens right now. I don't stick my finger, but only twice a day, where I used to do it like 10 times a day. Okay? And, the, and the, this thing, Bluetooth, relays my blood sugar to my phone. Okay? And if I look on here right now, I would say that my blood sugar is high, but please don't walk out of here and say Matt's high. Okay? Please don't do that. That's not good. Okay, here, here's what I want to tell you right now. So, so two times a day, what do I need to do right now is in order for everything to line up, it tells me calibrate your meter. So I have to go over and I have to test and I have to put in the number to this thing just twice a day to calibrate every 12 hours. It's, it's, a, it's a calibration. It's to making sure that we're in sync. It's to making sure that, yes, we are asking, I'm doing the right thing. And here's what God wants us to do through taking this prayer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek me. I want you to pray to me. I want you to call out to me. Because what will happen is I'll calibrate your life on my kingdom. My will be done and not yours. I will recenter you to use the Google term on the maps. I will recenter your life around what is important and what is significant. And so then therefore, we come boldly and ask him for things, but it's not asking out of, out of selfishness. It's asking out of a desire for the glory of God. And that's why we're here. Plain and simple. 
the glory of God. And this prayer that Jesus is teaching us how to pray can help us do just that when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to come in and overwhelm us for us to call on our Father who is in heaven. I love you. Let's pray. God, I, there is no one like you and we are here today to hold up your fact that you are good and that there's no one like you. I want to thank you for the awesome privilege and the conviction that you brought to my life this week in prayer. It's been rather overwhelming. I want to thank you for the personal lessons that you taught me. God, help us as a church not be sporadic or inconsistent. Help us not to walk out of here feeling guilty, but help us to walk out of here feeling inspired by your spirit with the knowledge that we can encounter you, that you hear us, and that you desire to move in our lives in such a beautiful way. Lord, we cannot accomplish anything without you. We need you, we're dependent upon you, and it's all for your glory. Forgive us where we have established our own kingdoms and forgive us where we have created um, our own ways. It is not our will, it is not our kingdom. It is your will. It is your way. So we call on you, God, who is our Father, to declare to you today that we want prayer in our church to be a road that is worn out for your glory, for our good. May you use this month to get us started on that road with that goal. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.